Welcome back to the TV podcast. This week, talking about The Alienist on TNT. I'm David J. Lore, and with me is Jess Epstein once again. Hello, Jess. Hi, David. Here we go. Episode three, Silver Smile. Silver Smile. That lot... we don't see. We don't see. Well, you know. We, we see we some see... eyes. We, we see, see some, some smirking. We see a cigarette. We see a shadow come down a chimney, which is super creepy. Yeah. That yeah. creeps me out. It's like a <laughs> satanic Santa Claus or something like that. Just a little bit. Um, um, we, but we, we start the episode in this very um, wealthy home. Right. With um, a mother and father sitting on ends of a very long table. I mean, it's a cliche. <laughs> Well, it's a very traditional drawing room kind of uh, 1896 feeling. Yes. Um, and I can't quite hear the name if it's Amberger. Did he say Rheinberger? Uh, I think it's Vanberger. Vanberger? I believe that's it. Okay. And someone comes to tell them that Willem might be in a spot of trouble. Hmm. <laughs> And they don't seem terribly surprised. Yes. Uh, nonplussed would be an understatement. I mean, he says your son is known to be in the house where the boy worked. And they, you know, say no more. And the mother fans herself with the large fan. And uh, the father goes on to very uh, creepily eat his pudding. It's the most creepy pudding eating <laughs> that I have ever seen. He just mm. digs into it with a strange way. Very strange <laughs> people. And you get the idea that the murderer is their son and he has done this before and that they are aware of his predilections. And we're not entirely sure who this is that's been warning them, but uh, yeah, who the guy is, I don't know. At that point, uh, we do we do get a hint by the end of the episode. But we'll well he there. says, people from outside the police are looking into it. Right. And that's the concern. Because it's not something that he can cover up yet. Can't right? cover up, can't control. Clearly, he's had some connection to the police before, and clearly he's been taking care of things cleaning in the past. Cleaning up. Cleaning yeah. up. He's a cleaner. That's right. Uh, ironically, considering uh, all the talk of cannibalism and predilections mm -hmm. and everything, that's that uh, was Ted Levine who played Buffalo Bill in Silence of the Lambs. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of an interesting, uh, nice, good one. Just a little, a little uh, casting homage. Yeah, you know, and he's and he's great. I mean, he barely moves his mouth in the whole episode. It's it's mm -hmm. kind of amazing. Um. Anyway, so yeah, we have this wonderful. Uh, little scene of domestic gilded age uncomfortableness mm -hmm. and uh then then we see uh does it go right to teddy roosevelt i think it goes remember. right to john oh that's up right on the couch that's right we see john now this is a big change from the book now in the book he does wake up at, is it 808? Uh, I, there's a, their location where they set up their headquarters. Mm -hmm. He wakes up in the headquarters, which is just being set up. Furniture is being moved in. So you get that sense. But in the book, Stevie 
saves him from the attack. Okay. And in this one, Stevie doesn't save him. He finds him wandering in the alley with no pants. Which is then played for, for laughs, which is very odd. Which I think, was he raped? Mm-hmm. I, because I, they said he will not be sitting down for some time. That's right. Oh, that's and right. I there don't was that know. Scene. It's yeah. not clear if he was beaten, if he was raped. Uh, he was unconscious. Obviously, they drugged him. Now, when he wipes his face, there's a bunch of makeup that comes off. Right. It's much more. It, it's not clear what happened to him in the book. Stevie comes in with a big stick with like nails in it, starts hmm. like beating people up right. and, and somehow they run out of there. Um, and he's not, you know, attacked in that way. I think they start to attack him and Stevie comes in. So I'm not, and then he says, well, um, he won't be, you know, sitting down for a week and he won't want to ruin his reputation in polite society. Exactly. Yeah, they, they more than heavily imply what happened. And but, then he says, oh, it's not what you think. Right. Right. Well, in, in his case, I think he's saying, you know, it's not, it wasn't my choice to do whatever happened and wind up with that pants. Why don't they just but... tell him I was drugged? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Again. Well, I, say, they, I, I went, I had a drink, then they trapped me in this room, I was unconscious. And then he just kept saying, I don't remember, I don't remember. But I don't understand why he didn't just tell Chrysler he was drugged. Right. I mean... Maybe, maybe he didn't want to seem weak? Maybe he didn't realize he was drugged. Maybe he's still okay. trying to remember that. But, you know, I to me, that's a silly thing. That's one of those... In, in plotting mysteries and plotting farces, I hate it when it's it's one of those simple things of... Oh, if I just said this piece of information, everything would be fine. Mm -hmm. So I'll hide the information to make sure the story keeps going for a couple of hours, right? Mm -hmm. And this is one of those things where it's like, if if he said that right up front, you make that jump to, okay, we need to go talk to these people. And they eventually get there. Chrysler eventually does say, yes, I need to talk to that. that Sally, to yeah. Sally. And... um but that's, you know, half an hour into the episode then. Whereas this is right up front. And 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 yeah, it, it is just sort of that weird, uh, let's play the, the scene for being uncomfortable. Let's play mm -hmm. the scene for laughs. Oh, he he was wandering around without his pants. Oh, that's not what you think. Who hasn't had that? And one of the Isaac brothers said, who hasn't had that happen? Right. Well, I haven't, but you know. Okay. Yeah, I, I thought that was a little strange. Yeah. You know, especially considering he's not homosexual. Yeah. And and not into kids. Again, the other I thing I would have been more concerned. Like it's sort of like they make these little changes from the book and then ignore the fact that they've made the change and keep playing the way the book goes. Mhm. Mm so it's like that incident doesn't actually happen in the book, so the rest of what happens in the episode doesn't track it it follows the book, but they wanted to make this little change. And then they don't follow through on it. It's it's really weird. I was pretty sure they go back to the room. They find some kind of... Maybe they'll go back there later. 
But at Castle Garden, I when they which is the murder we're going to get to, I know for a fact they looked over the wall and they found chinks where the climbing materials, the the what are they called that go into the, the rocks? Yeah, the the um, pythons. And yeah, had been inserted. Yeah. They even find fibers. They didn't do any of that here. Yeah, they're they well. They find the. That's key. That was a big, big key. Then later they go back again to the room at Paracis Hall and they see, aha, it's here too. Right. He's climbing up like a mountaineer, climbing up these steep brick walls and getting into these places. Yeah, this it's another one of those so things. So there's another where... one. I Well, we're going to get to that. Yeah. Well, but... the, you know, it's it's again kind of slowing down and dumbing down a little bit. You know, they're, they're pretty much the big discovery we get is that, oh, he likes heights and maybe water. And it's like, you can give yeah, us they, more than that. It's all yeah, right. We can figure out more of that. Yeah. So right after, so Moore wakes up. Um, the next scene is with the police department and the worst Teddy Roosevelt ever. <laughs> was Teddy ever that soft spoken? Come on. We've he never was probably heard him. chomping. Yeah. I always think teeth. Chompers, right? right. Every everyone who describes him. Let's get over him. here. I just see him, you know, with you know, very brusque and and very um, with teeth and a smile and a cigar and just you know, you know, hale and hearty and you know, big, clapping shoulders much bigger, and much broader guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure this Maybe actor he, is a very nice guy. He does he's not just have not. He's Teddy. the worst Teddy Roosevelt <laughs> I've ever seen. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's like the most mild. First of all, Teddy was not mild. Right. I've right. read the biographies. He was a, he was like a Energizer Bunny. He was like full <laughs> of viv and vigor. You know, oh. wake up and swim in icy water. You know, go down the Amazon jungle after you retire. Yeah. You yeah. know, craziness. And and I don't. And then I don't this guy this is like any of that. He just lets people insult him. Right. That's he also was very, very not feckless Teddy. and helpless. Whereas in the book, he's he's the he's the prime mover. Right. He sets up uh, Chrysler. He sets up the Isaacsons. He sets up the secretary. He he gives well, them all the information. He's he's the mover and the shaker. And that's another one of those details. Uh, you know, I'm going to go ahead and jump ahead to this one. Where uh, did did I miss something? Where mm-hmm. Teddy is suddenly involved. Like when they're when they are looking at the crime scene later. Yeah, he's there right is a, there. there there is a line. Okay. Sarah says, "I've convinced Roosevelt to trust you more than his own department." Hey. Okay. There was a line. The one throwaway line that you had to catch. Okay, but you had to catch one line. You had to catch and, that line. You know, because because I was going to say I missed that line, and it and then it just seemed like oh we're following the involved. book again. Right? Yeah. And it because it made sort sense. of following the book, so sort they of. have this. Anyway. So Connors is there, you know, he's yeah. threatening. He's saying, this is not, this is your new police force, but you know, I know all the old guys who deserve medals. And obviously Roosevelt is up against terrible corruption. He's trying to get new, you know, moral police in there. Right. And from there they go to a little reception where we have a little interesting reaction between Sarah and TR's daughter about guns. Yes. Yes. Which, you know, will show up later because she can shoot. And and uh, 
his daughter is like, so do, do you know how to shoot? I, I'm curious, but I don't know. He says, oh, my father taught me when I was about your age. And she's a good an shot. detail. Yeah, that's going to come back later. The whole scene was just for them to share that. Yeah. And also that their fathers were friends. Yes. And that's probably how she got the job, even though she doesn't want to admit it. But, but it probably real. is, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was a cute little scene. After that, we go to this creepy bathhouse. Public right. swimming pool, public bathhouse. I'm not sure. I know. No, they used to be all over New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, they still had some bath, a bath. There's some bath in the East Village, Turkish bath or something like that. Right. And the boys are naked, splashing around. And of course, you know, you're going to see the, the creepy guy, the murderer. Right. Is there. And we're not entirely sure, but they, mm, I'm keep, pretty they sure. keep coming back to him and you go, okay. So you're watching the boys from his perspective. Right. He's like leaning back against the wall. Mm-hmm. And the boys are splashing around and roughhousing. And I guess one of them is a little too rough and a policeman sends him away. And then the the eye, again with the eye, always eye watching. Yeah. They do a lot with the eyes, not just the soup. <laughs> and the eye closes uh, in pleasure. Of the next prey. Yes. And and that's the it act It was break. creepy. But it was, it yeah, was it was very nicely done. Creepy. You're just like, run, kids, <laughs> run away. <laughs> Stranger <laughs> danger, run. Seriously. Oh, God, it's, it's brutal. <laughs> but he stalks his prey, you know, in different places, evidently. Right. So after that. Let's see. Uh, yes, I have boys, pool, eyes. These are very complex notes. Mm-hmm. Um, they go to the they go to the morgue. Oh, that's right. Uh, because they've got they're looking at the fingerprints and blowing them up and looking closely, and they're trying to decide what are those breaks. Right? Mm. They need a clean print. Is it just that this wasn't a clean print, or or are there cuts or abrasions on, on the hand on the killer's hand? And Chrysler says, you need to go to the morgue to find uh, uh, Giorgio. Giorgio's body and try and get a clean print off that because yeah. there may be one. If this mm-hmm. is the guy, there may be one. And try to match that up and see if this is, you know, we know the kind of knife he uses. Maybe he got cuts from that. And so the Isaacsons go off to the morgue. And... Is it is it right then, or is it later that we discover no, it, that the body it's is pretty gone? fast? They they have a few conversations with the um, coroner, and they open up, you know, the coffin, and body is gone. Right. Bye, <laughs> body. <laughs> body is gone, and now you know how deep how deep it goes. Right. How deep the corruption goes. How powerful it is. They're snatching, you know, bodies out of graves. In the meantime, Chrysler says, uh, you know, what what all are we doing? Do you want to be involved in this part? And we're going to do this. And Sarah has a, re- a reunion of college at Vassar. Wait, before she more. goes to that, Va- before she goes to the Vassar reunion, she has an interface with Chrysler. Right, right. And she says, we are quite alone in searching for this killer. But that would suit you 
well enough to be alone. And they really have this It's look. an intense moment. I think she's seeing how he isolates himself from everyone, from her. Mm. She's unable to get close to him. Um, and then he says, um, do you require, you know, um, do you require answers? Why are you involved in this investigation? Or is this to keep the world at bay? Hmm. He's, he's really digging into her and more in this episode. Yes. But the final scene is he really gets personal. Um, and incisive into what is their motivation of being part of this process. But he kind of, you know, brings it right back to her. She kind of says, Hey, you're a loner. Um, why do you have to push everybody away? And he says, you know, are you keeping the world at bay? Are you hiding here in some way? And she's a very, she might be. He's, he's insightful too. Mm -hmm. So, and, and then she keeps him at bay by saying, Nope, I'm going back to Vassar. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll see I have to days. say, let's give a shout out to the costume department. Oh, yeah. Fantastic hats. Yes. Fantastic scene. All the costumes of the women in the Vassar uh, reunion, the chairs, the gentlemen, the details of the clothing, and especially the hats, uh, how beautiful the women were. Very Gilded Age, really with just a you know, it's a nice contrast between when they show um, the slums. Yes. You know, it's between the slums of uh, the Santorellis and uh, the Parasis Hall. And this is the first time we've kind of come, you know, uptown and seen one of the drawing rooms uh, of the wealthy and how they uh, play at murder. Yes. So, I clev thought, so clever. I thought that was lovely because it's, you know, when, you know, everyone's going to be murdered and when the murderer winks at you then you drop dead mm -hmm. and sarah's just kind of sitting off to the side like okay yeah this is this is your life and mm -hmm. i know what the real thing is like and she's sitting off with her former roommate and looking around and, and says are we the only old maids left mm -hmm. and her roommate says ah not so fast wait a second let me, yeah. let me let me introduce you to this uh, lump of pudding over here that is yeah my, he my he didn't look like much he yeah. didn't look like much yeah he looked a lot like the actor from Young Sherlock Holmes it was really odd oh okay. yeah it was just that that sort of that. mental overlay going oh huh I know it's not him because and what's interesting decades. is she she leans in and she says we've done it you know they had sex ah yes yes Again. and that was huge in that time right. you know before marriage um and i guess she's saying oh well you know i don't mean to presume maybe you have a bow and she says oh no you know nobody really well she kind of smiles and she says well he is a doctor hmm. and we all go oh. oh she really has fallen for kreitzler and really who can blame her right, right. i mean i'm in love with kreitzler at this point <laughs> I, he's so, uh, he's, he has so much uh, magnetism. Right. Even though he's rather, he's difficult and he's driven. Well, yes. Um, and he's very self-assured, but he does listen to her at Castle Garden. You know, um, 
Meanwhile, uh, Moore's mother has figured out what's wrong with him and what he needs. Mm-hmm. And he needs a blind society date. Yep. And, Sounds horrible. Uh, and uh, and it, as it happens, it is horrible. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't even know her name, and she's clearly not the brightest crayon in the box. Nope. Um, and he just sort of gets through it. Yeah, I mean, it shows how stifled he is, really. Yes. Um, obviously, he had a, a fiancé where it's, she ended up marrying someone else. Um, that's alluded to at the end, you know, towards the end of the episode. Um, and, you know, it's a very stifling life for him as well. Yeah. He's he's escaping into the adventure and the the pull of the investigation. This is another problem with him being this illustrator and not reporter. Seriously. Because a reporter is much more, not such a layabout. You know? Right. And why, why they decided they wanted to I have him be a layabout. I don't know why they do that. I don't know. I don't know why they did that. But. Uh, but what happens at the end of that is he sees a pigeon fly out the window. And he has one of those mental leaps and all the memories come flooding back and he rushes back to Chrysler and says, I remember, I remember that the room was locked and Giorgio never left. And when they went in, he was gone and there was a man with a silver smile. It's sort of, it's like an instant exposition dump of everything he needed to tell us half an hour ago. Yeah. Right. All the stuff, right. all the stuff he learned yeah. at Parisa's Hall at the end of episode two. Um, but let's, let's put the brakes on it so we can do all this stuff for half an hour. Yeah. And they start to realize that the boys trust him. He brings them alive to these areas. And then he, as part of some kind of sexual thing, begins to asphyxiate them, which they maybe expect. Right. Um, and then the next thing you know, they're, they're it's for real. They're dead. But they don't struggle. Right. Because it's clearly um, someone they trust. It's someone that they trust. Now what does Kreitzler do? One of the best scenes this week is with Cyrus. Yes. Who really stole the show there. I don't know that actor's name. Oh, Robert Ray Wisdom. He's oh, he's very that? good. He was he was in the wire mm-hmm. for for a while. Uh and a fantastic, fantastic actor. Um, I, I, I hate to be the one saying, if you haven't seen The Wire, go see The Wire, because everyone yeah, says go see the, the Wire, but man, man alive, he steals that. So he's, well, he stole this little scene with Kreitzler, um, as a man who has committed murder. Kreitzler basically pushes him to the limit. Yeah. Tell me what it's like to kill somebody. He's like, this he says, book, this book can't tell me. It can't tell me what it's like. It can describe things, but I need to know the emotional side. I need to know what you felt. And he confesses what an interesting statement that he makes is that God created murder. Right. Isn't that interesting? God created murder. Go back to Cain and Abel. Right. You know, the first murder. And, and he but says, then he says, I enjoyed it. Right. It's like, he, he tells all the things that Chrysler would have expected. Right. Mm-hmm. I remember the sensations. I remember the blood. I remember mm-hmm. the cries and all that. Mm-hmm. But I also remember the joy. I remember enjoying it. 
Ooh. which is just devastating. That gave me the the shakes. I mean, and the way he said it was so good. Right. Um, and and, it's, and I think it's the... it shows you what a good actor can do with a few lines. Right. Right. Well, and it's the kind of thing where you you look at the story, you look at the time, and you think, why would why would you want to take this thankless role as as the guy who's just opening the door and running the carriage driving the carriage and then you have this one scene it's not even a huge monologue but it's one of those scenes that it's probably the best scene in the first three episodes i think Mm -hmm. because it's just so good it grabs you in yeah um and it's interesting because you realize that kreitzler is really obsessed himself with finding out what is driving you know, not only the other murderers, but what it's, he's becoming obsessed right after this scene. He says, there's some blood on you. And he says, no, it's ink. Interesting. Yes. And then he immediately goes, the, the next, the next thing we see is him trying to clean it off at the sink and, and out damn spot out. I say, and it's not working <laughs> and he gets angry and he starts, you know, yeah. ripping off his coat, starts his ripping collar, off his clothes. I was and... in heaven. Takes hey, the collar hey. off. Hey, now. And, and he's uh, got the, the paper collar off and then the shirt comes off and you see his back and he's in pretty good shape. Yeah. And he's, yeah. you see that the man is stripping down. Yeah. He's, he's tired of, of maybe the facade. And they haven't, they haven't really done much with his arm. I, I, in the book, his arm is, is less, um, like he holds it to him. He doesn't do much with it. But in this, it's clear that there is something with the one arm because he's having trouble doing everything else, right? He's doing everything one handed. Yeah. I did not notice that. He's he's ripping everything one handed and then he gets stuck and he can't get the shirt all the rest of the way off. But Mary is there mm-hmm. and she kind of says, Do you need help? I mean she she mimes it because she's mute. And he sort of relaxes and relents and lets her help him. And it's it's a, a again a lovely moment, a lovely look at, at him. And and their relationship, which is also yeah. kind of mysterious at this mysterious point. and complicated. Um, she's a murderer, obviously, as is Cyrus, and it's obvious she is in love with him. Yes. Now, whether or not he, you know, discourages her, encourages her, tolerates her. I mean, um, has affection for her. Or yeah. some, de- I think this is a very interesting relationship um, that will play out with Sarah, Kreitzler, and Mary. Now we have a triangle. Right. Well, we've got several triangles. And John. Going on. Yeah. And John. Then we got a square. Yeah. And later on in the book, John takes out Mary. So there you go. So it, th- these four are going to get intertwined. It'll be interesting to see how how they take it. So he's tearing off his layers, um, and and they're interrupted by Stevie. Yeah, saying there's been another one. Yep, and we and don't one, even need to know what we know what it is. They rush off in the carriages. They rush to Castle Garden. They rush inside. It was all done very well. Yes, I like the running horses and running carriages because <laughs> that's what you feel like in the book. They're always jumping in and running away and storming down the avenue. And, you know that that's very important. 
Yeah. They don't just leisurely walk over there. They just get in and run. The horses are running in the night. So they got to get that. And they did. Um, and they get there and it's another horror show. And they really focus on Sarah. And Sarah, right. can she hack it? Because this is her first real crime scene. As, yep. as she says later, I've seen death, but not like this. And right. certainly not as a crime scene. And she acquits herself well. She doesn't faint. She doesn't throw up. Right. She's, she she pull- starts she starts to look a little queasy. And then yeah. she pulls herself together because she has a realization. And mm-hmm. so instead... So unlike Moore in his first crime scene at the beginning of the series, mm-hmm. where he starts to run off to the, the side of the bridge and be like, mm-hmm. oh no... Uh, she pulls herself together and goes, hang on, there's something, there's something I noticed. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, it's a, it's a nice uh, comparison and measure of her compared to Moore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they're able to do what they do. The Isaac brothers are there. Now, Teddy Roosevelt is there. He obviously got the Isaacson brothers to a uh, heads up. Kreitzler and his crew are there and someone else is there. And who could that be? The murderer. I think so. Hiding again. We see a hand. Right. A creepy hand. Kind of hiding in there, watching them. And when John drops his illustrating book, it's picked up. Yes. One thing that they should have shown that I really liked in the book is that a mob gathers. A mob of immigrants gathers. Not the police. Right. A mob of... The police don't gather. I think a couple of them come. But what happens is they get riled up by somebody and the mob from the you know Lower East Side and the tenements come and they're getting concerned and they're storming the place. And, and Teddy grabs, you know, a piece of wood and he says, you know, you guys go, I'll, I'll fend them off, you know, bully, bully. And, you know, and he, walk, you know, walk softly and carry a big stick, literally. And he's got a big stick and he's, he ends up talking to the crowd and calming them down and, you know, Chrysler and the people escape. And this was nothing like that. Right. That was one of the best scenes in the book. <laughs> Teddy outtakes on the crowd. He doesn't care. Yeah. So they lost an opportunity there to have... <sighs> The mob coming at Roosevelt, and I mean that all, was a great, great all, scene. All I can think is they just didn't want the the all the extras. Well, they didn't want the extras too, but they probably just didn't want Roosevelt being outsized and and taking over all the air in the room. You know, they want mm-hmm. they want their Sherlock character, right? He's the star, and yeah, they could have they could have mm. done a better Teddy, and they, they could have done, done a better. A- yeah, that's going to be our refrain. We don't yeah. need to beat a dead teddy. Yeah, but we we each have big sticks. It's okay. <laughs> we can. Now, they go back to the headquarters. Mary is there. She was not invited. And Kreitzler is quite angry. Right. And he's no business. He sends her away, which raises, you know, some... Later on, um, Sarah is able to say, you know, he was uncomfortable. Uh, and his anger later came out at them because he lashes out at Sarah and Moore, um, he says, Moore, you know, how do you cope? Do you go to strangers because you can't cope with your father's, uh, not getting your father's approval and your, and your, uh, your brother's fiance. death, your fiance. And he just gets, you know, offended. I don't have to answer your question. And then he, then he turns on Sarah and he says, how do you cope with your father's suicide? And she just stands like a stone. Also a good scene. Yes. Yes. The eyes 
fill with tears. And and eventually she and Moore walk out together and get a carriage together. And Moore is trying to console her a little Mm -hmm. bit. And, uh, and, and, they're... No, he, but one one important thing he says: come back when you can confront your feelings. Right. So he's right. doing a therapy on his team because their inability to cope with their own feelings and pasts are inhibiting the investigation. Yes. Yes. And he needs he needs them to be free and clear to help figure this out. Right. If their own if their own hangups are getting in the way. Mm-hmm. They may not be very useful. Nope. So we're in the carriage, and they're and, and they're trying to figure out what just happened. They're like, "Whoa!" They're a little in shock. What's going on there? Why is he? Mm-hmm. Why is he doing that? Says his anger is because of Mary, and she and he says you're starting to sound like him. Yeah. She says, and you are too. You know, they are. They're starting to see psychology and, and motivations and. Um, shadow purposes, you know, the darker side of the darker side of everyone, right? The shadow side, right? Everybody has it. And, um, he leans over and kisses her. It's, it's a chaste kiss on the cheek and, you know, but it's, she didn't seem that thrilled by it. Yeah. It's a very inscrutable look. I hard to read. Yeah. I don't think she was that into it. Yeah. Now I know the. I don't, uh, I don't see them as the couple. The um, scenes when when they show the this season on the Alienist. Oh, they uh, show one where they're going to kiss. They do show one where they're going to kiss straight on, and and we'll see how that plays out. We'll see if mm-hmm. that's uh, if that's consensual. Who really starts it? If it makes sense or what? Uh, but at least at this point, it's very uneasy. It's very, mm-hmm. uh, she, she kind of has that look of, oh, John, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Right. And then it ends with the creepy murderer coming down the chimney. He has a creepy little cat. Oh, <laughs> poor cat. The cat is actually cute. Yeah. <laughs> a little kitten. Um, cause all evil masterminds need a, a kitten or cat. That's right. And he starts touching John's pictures. Yes. You know, almost arousing himself, really. Yeah, because it's, it's, you know, pictures of crime scenes and pictures of things he has done. Yeah. And it's giving him... Well, and that's that's part of uh, Sarah's realization at the crime scene, right? Is he, that... want, he's, 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 he has evolved. And she says, what has he evolved to? Right. Kreitzer and... says, now they're not hidden. The, the boys well, aren't hidden. The boys are all, right out in the public. All of these things are at great height. And there's right. usually something involving water or view of the water. The Zweig children were hidden in a water tank on a, on a rooftop. Uh, these other, these first murders were on bridges. This one was hidden on the Brooklyn Bridge. Then this one that we discover in the first episode on the Williamsburg Bridge. But that one's more out in the open. And now this one is totally out in the open. But they're all at height and they're all around water. And what right. does that mean? Um, so we'll find out. We will find out. This is episode three. It, it felt good. I think it's on a steady pace. Yeah. 
It had quiet scenes. It had some intense scenes. It had some action scenes. Um, I thought it was pretty well balanced. I watched it twice. The first time I was like falling asleep. <laughs> I, I, I think I'm going to really make an effort to watch each show twice. That's good. Because yeah. I did pick up a lot more the second time. Well, and it helps to know what to look for. You know, like I only watched it once, so I totally missed the I got Roosevelt on our side. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, because that's that is something that jumped out at me. It's like, wait, 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 wait. Why is Teddy suddenly there? What's going mm-hmm. on? And mm-hmm. so I would have been paying more attention to that. Um, one thing I thought was really interesting this week is that the quiet scenes, the, uh, you know, poking at the characters psyches were far more thrilling than any of the big action moments or, you know. Yeah. That's the stuff and that each had of them of was the probed. In, and Kreitzler was, was probed right. by Sarah. Right. Kreitzler was probed by Sarah. Then Sarah and Moore are probed by Kreitzler. Cyrus is probed by Kreitzler. And, and, and Mary... That whole, that, the, it, that whole scene with Mary is, is totally silent. And yeah, yet... Not a word is said. Far more gripping than, you know, some of the other scenes. I didn't know if he was going to kiss her. Right. Or. Or get angry. Or what the attraction is. Yeah. There's something there that's rather deep. I I don't I don't know what's happening because I'm only about halfway through the book. I'm not going (laughs) to give any spoilers. No spoilers because I really don't know. Right. It's pretty much to what I'm caught up with. Maybe I'm just trying to stay a little bit ahead. Right. And um, I think we'll see where they go with some of this. I think it's found its feet. Yeah. It's yeah. found its pacing. The characters are well embodied, and they're, I think the ensemble is good. And, uh, and I, will, I will shout out to the uh, writer Gina Gianfrido, who is, is a playwright. Um, I've seen her work at play festivals, and uh, I think... I. Maybe it's a personal thing. Maybe I paid more attention to it. When I know that it's a playwright writing, I mm-hmm. tend to pay more attention to those dialogue scenes. And they're mm-hmm. usually just a little sharper than yeah. than your average TV writer. I don't know what it is, but it's held true so far. It's the only thing that keeps me at all interested in Law & Order series because they hire a lot of playwrights. And so right. they can have really kind of hack plots and simple plots and yet there's mm-hmm. some really good character work and really good dialogue going on. Mm-hmm. So that's that, that really shown through this time. Is each episode written by different people? Have, uh, is that what they're doing? I don't know. On this? Uh, so far, yeah. yeah. On Alienist, different different writers yeah. each episode. That's, that's standard. And then, well, you have a writer's room. So right. there's usually one person or a team credited with the script. And that's, you know, it's a writer's guild kind of thing. Um, but they will often get polished by the showrunner or the executive producer uh, or the executive writing producer, which is basically the showrunner to get a little consistency. But uh, most, most of these episodes are going to be written by different people, I think. Okay. So I think we've done a great overview of the episode. I think so. I think so. um, We'll have to see what, what happens Um, next week. Yeah. Oh, and, and my favorite line, yeah. Uh, was when uh, Chrysler is kind of probing into them before mm-hmm. they leave. And and he basically says to them, what is your opiate? Oh, what is your opiate? Right? Yes. What is it yes. that's, yes. you know, which again, 
ties into that sort of uh, meta Sherlock Holmes thing too, right? Yeah. So, so yeah, that Great line, line that line jumped out at me. I was just and like, they each they each have it, and he does as well. Right. Right. But they have to become aware of it so that they can focus on the work. Exactly. Exactly. In the book, not just just to kind of, and they're much more studious. They're 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 he makes them study, and they all sit around desks in a circle and right. study these, you know. Uh, psychology books, early psychology books. And like even in this, and maybe this was sort of a a meta joke about that when uh, Chrysler hands over Psychopathia Sexualis to mm-hmm. Moore and says, "Here, read this and try to mm-hmm. try to be in this guy's skin." And Moore is like, "I will do no such thing. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I'm not reading any book. Mm-hmm. Book for smart people." Uh-uh. Yeah, no, but that's not in the book that's at not, all. They're much more book. into readers. So, okay. So, but yeah, I think I think we've done it. So we'll be back uh, next time with episode four, and we'll see if it keeps improving. Thank, Looking forward to it. Thank you for joining me, Jess. My pleasure. See you all next time. I must follow this wherever it goes, even if it leads me to the darkest pit of hell. Oh.